Great to have you with us today. And um, my name's Dan, part of the, the leadership team here. It's great to be. Um, it's great to see if you're new, if you're visiting. Um, you're very welcome. Uh, it's great that you could come and gather with us and uh, uh, to celebrate Easter. Um, and uh, it's great for me to be back. I've been away with our uh, church, Pump Freedom Church, based in Orchard Park for uh, a number of weeks. And so, um, yeah, I, I hope I'm welcome back. <laughs> you can't, I don't have to clap me. <laughs> um, so uh, I was worried that they wouldn't want me and you wouldn't want me and maybe to start a church plant halfway up Beverly Road in between you both. Um, <laughs> But it's great to celebrate Easter today and, and what we have just read about we, um, th- those events of Easter Sunday. We've remembered, you know, as, as a church, you know, we gather on Good Friday to, to remember the death of Jesus. That horrible, excruciating pain that Jesus went through on the cross. That he died for us and that three days later he rose from the dead. That we've just, those words that we've just had read to us changes everything. Easter changes everything. That event that we heard, that Emmanuel read to us happened nearly 2,000 years ago and yet for each of us it is the single most important day that ever happened to us. And in a few moments we're going to baptise two people who, are, who have realised that actually what, that what happened at Easter changes everything for them. Why is Easter so important? I want to read from 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. And this is Paul. He's a, a great writer of, the, of, of lots of the New Testament. And he's explaining why the cross and the resurrection means so much. He says this, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I passed on to you, as, to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to the, all the apostles, and last, he appeared to me also." These verses are the big picture of what Paul is trying to communicate throughout the New Testament. Paul is saying that these things actually happened. And that we need to continually remind ourselves that this is the most important thing. What Paul is saying here. He's saying that he he makes some massive claims. If I was to die tonight, and then on Tuesday, Phil is going around Hull saying that he saw me. I hope you would ask some questions. Is Paul just a little bit wacky? What evidence is there for the resurrection? That Jesus did come back to life? Paul is saying it is by this news that we are saved. And so we must know what we believe. And if you're not a Christian here today, you are incredibly welcome. You should sceptically look at the story of Jesus and the resurrection. Because you know what? People don't come back to life. So today I want to look at the evidence for the resurrection and I want to show us that this is far from a fairy tale in a book that was written thousands of years, 2,000 years ago. But the story of the empty tomb 
is actually what happened. And then secondly, I want to look at what it means for us if Jesus did come back to life. So did Jesus really rise from the dead? These verses from Paul make the claims really clear that what we read, uh, what Emmanuel read to us earlier is true. Paul says, for what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. Paul wants to make it really clear what he believes. Jesus died, he rose from the dead, and he appeared to people. On Friday, we celebrated Good Friday. And it seems like a strange name to call the day Jesus died. But as Christians, we believe that far from it being a black day in Christian history, instead it is very good because it gave a solution to a very bad problem. You see, God created us to be in relationship with him. He, he gave us freedom. But the intention was that we lived as he had made us to. However, the first humans, Adam and Eve, choose to ignore God, to go their own way, to disobey him. And then sin enters the world and ever since that point every single one of us has gone our own way. The Bible tells us that because of that we are enemies of God and the punishment we deserve is death. In order for us to escape that punishment we must live a perfect life. The problem is none of us can. I'm sure you can think of things you've done in the last week, day, maybe last hour, the hurtful words you've said, the, the, the way you've, you know, the thoughts you've had, the actions that you've took. And God had a solution though. He sent his son Jesus to the earth to live as a human. He did what none of us could do and he lived the perfect life and then was killed on our behalf. He took our sins on himself when he died on the cross. That relationship that we ruined with God could be restored because of what Jesus achieved at the cross. God has provided the solution. And that's why we call it Good Friday. It's very good news because instead of facing punishment and death, Jesus died on our behalf and then three days later he rose back to life. He defeated death and now we can receive eternal life when we choose to follow him. It is very good news. And then Paul says a few verses on, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Fairly strong words. Paul is saying that if, if this isn't all true, then we are wasting our time. We might as well give up. There's better ways to spend our Sunday mornings. So did the resurrection happen? What evidence is there? Are we wasting our time? Well, the first thing to say with that is that Jesus really did live. There are not many historians who would deny the existence of a man named Jesus. It seems like there was a man called Jesus who was claiming to be the son of God. And second thing is that the tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered to be empty. He was in there, and when a group turned up on Sunday morning, he was no longer there. But people, people don't come back to life. And throughout history, many people have tried to come up with explanations about why Jesus did not defeat death, why he did not come back to life. And I want to look at some of those ways in which people have tried to argue that Jesus never came back to life. Firstly, they say that he never left the tomb. People have said that the two Marys went to the tomb and they actually lied. They spread a story which wasn't true and everyone believed them. However, the story of the resurrection was preached in the very city that Jesus had died. 
They didn't go to some obscure place to start spreading the story, but they started spreading it in Jerusalem. They started spreading it in the very place where the empty tomb was. No one would be foolish enough to believe that this man had been raised from the dead when his body lay in a tomb for all to see. A writer named Paul Alpheus writes about the resurrection story and he says that it could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concerned. The tomb was empty. The second thing people might say is that the story got exaggerated. People who believe this might say that, you know, that rumours started. It was started by supporters of Jesus, those followers, and, and it became something of a legend. The problem with that is that it takes generation after generation for a legend to form, and it takes a lack of historical evidence. However, the story of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, are first written about in the book of Mark, which was written about 50 to 60 AD, just a couple of decades after Jesus' death. There is no time for this rumour to spread and to become a legend. If the story had been exaggerated, then people would have been alive from the time of Jesus. They would have quickly dismissed the story as a lie. The fact that the accounts of Jesus were written 10 to 20 years after his death shows there is a real weight to the accuracies of these writings. You know, details of someone like Alexander the Great were written over 400 years after he lived, and yet we accept those details as fact. So the story of Jesus appearing to people, that many people after his death, at least has to be considered seriously. The third thing people say is that Jesus didn't really die. Some people would acknowledge, you know, maybe Jesus did leave the tomb. Maybe he did appear to people, but he was able to do that because he never really died. Now, if you know anything about Roman soldiers, you will know that they were trained to brutally kill people. That they... So to believe that they somehow made a mistake, that they didn't finish it off... I won't give much time to this because I honestly, I don't believe that Jesus was able to survive a brutal flogging, which a lot of people died at that point. He was then able to survive a crucifixion and then he had energy to burst out of his tightly wrapped grave clothes, roll a heavy stone away from the tomb and then beat off armed Roman guards. So the fourth thing people say is that his followers made it up. Paul is saying that Jesus really rose from the dead. That it was not a case of mistaken identity. But some have, complained that, have claimed that the disciples made the whole thing up. They persuaded a few people around the time to believe it. And slowly more and more people were fooled. And now 2.38 billion people around the world are Christians. Believing a made up story from nearly 2,000 years ago. No wonder Paul said if, it's a, if it is a lie we're wasting our time. But could it be a lie? Now, I don't know about you, but when I make something up and tell a lie, I do it because I get something out of it. I want to look better than I am. I want to save embarrassment or save punishment. The disciples, however, had nothing to get out of it. They didn't make millions of pounds on book sales. They didn't even know this was going to be written and still read now. They, didn't, they weren't sat on a beach somewhere enjoying the revenue from Jesus' merchandise. But instead we see dozens of followers who were willingly tortured for the sake of the gospel. Many of them ended up being killed because they had become followers of Jesus. 
The disciples must have been convinced that the person that they saw was in fact Jesus, the one that they knew and loved. But it wasn't just the disciples. Jesus then appeared to many more people. Paul writes, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to the apostles and last of all he appeared to me. Paul tells us that many of the people who saw Jesus were still alive at the time of writing. Anyone If it was a lie, any one of those eyewitnesses could have disproved the story. Any one of them could have come forward. A preacher from America, Jeff Ashley, Ashley, writes about this and he says, Is it reasonable to think that they, the disciples, would have willingly suffered such treatment for a lie? Lots of people die for lies, but not for what they know to be a lie. That is what this option would require. And it too demands a stretch, if not suspension, of the logic. Fifthly, people say maybe it was a mass hallucination. Maybe those people were so desperate to see Jesus that what happened was they hallucinated. The problem with that is that you don't get mass hallucinations and it's a personal experience. But, and even if you did, authorities would have just produced the body and said, look, here is Jesus. He's still dead. You've made it all up. And finally, we look at transformed lives. We not only see Jesus' disciples willing to die for him, but we see people who are total skeptics now believing and following Jesus. One of those was a writer from the passage that I read, Paul. He went from persecuting Christians to being one of the main people who established the early church. He wrote so much of the New Testament. Paul hated Jesus. But then the resurrected Jesus appears to him and his life is changed. We also find Jesus' brother James. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus also appeared to James. We know that James ended up dying for the resurrection truth. This is Jesus' brother, remember. Now, you might be able to convince your mum that you're the son of God. I know a few people who believe their child is as close to the son of God as they can be. (laughs) But it's a lot harder to convince your siblings if, you, if you've got a sibling, you'll know that's true. Growing up, my sister was the first person who would tell my parents that I'd done something wrong. Jesus was going around claiming to be the son of God, claiming to be without sin. James did not believe it. I know my, I know my brother. He's not the son of God. Something happens that makes James not only believe it was true, but be willing to die for that truth. And that leaves us with a decision. C.S. Lewis says, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. I firmly believe that leaves us with the logical explanation that Jesus really did die and he rose again to give us new life. And if you're not a Christian here today, then I would challenge you to consider the life and truth, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus seriously. Maybe go on Alpha to explore it like Phil invited you earlier because you must make a decision either it's all a lie and we are wasting our time or it's the truth and I believe it is and it changes everything
that to C.S. Lewis because he puts it far better than I can. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. We all have a decision to make. Today we have a decision to make. Is Jesus really who he said he was? Did he rise from the dead? Because if, it is, if he did, it changes everything. If Jesus rose from the dead, what does it mean for me today? If Jesus rose from the dead, what does it mean for the people getting baptised today? Well, firstly, we have forgiveness for our sins. The death we are deserving of is taken by Jesus. He suffers in our place and it means that we have forgiveness for our sins. All we need to do is repent, to say sorry, to turn from our old life and receive the forgiveness Jesus offers, following him. Yes, we all still sin, but the power of sin is broken. We are no longer sinners. Our identity has changed. When God looks at us, he sees Jesus' perfection. He sees us as saints. We no longer have to live feeling shame and guilt because, because of what we have done in our lives, but we instead can experience freedom today. That's why we sung earlier, where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom, because, because of the cross, we are free from our pasts. But Jesus doesn't just die. Three days later, he rises. And that means we have a saviour who is alive today, seated in heavenly places. He will never die. And that means he will never leave us. He promises to be with us by his spirit, every single one of us. And that changes everything. When you have the creator of the world on your side, you don't fear or worry like you did before. When you know Jesus is for you, you don't worry about what others will think of you, about the exam results, about whether there's enough money in your bank account to survive. Knowing Jesus is alive means you can have confidence that he will always be with you. He will never leave you. And we also have our relationship with God restored. The relationship that was ruined by sin is now restored and we can come to know God. We can hear him. He can speak to us. He can guide us. We can have intimacy with our heavenly father. And it means we have a message of hope to bring. The resurrection brings meaning to our lives. Without it, it is hopeless. We encounter so many people searching for hope in the world. We all have things that we care about. It might be our friends and family. It might be seeing communities flourish. It might be justice for those who are wronged. It may be the environment. But whatever it is, without Jesus' resurrection, it is meaningless because it's all going to be burned up one day. But through the resurrection, we have meaning. What we do now has an effect into eternity. We have a purpose for living that is to glorify God and to see God's kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. To show people Jesus is who he said he was. He is alive today and he's inviting them into a personal relationship with him. As followers of Jesus, we must be outward looking people. It's no good having a nice little community who look after each other if we ignore those outside the church who we believe are heading for an eternity separate from God. Who are you reaching out with with the good news of Jesus? How are you engaging with your neighbours, your community, your city, your town, your village for the good of the kingdom? The resurrection also means we have power. 
As I said earlier, the resurrection is impossible from a scientific perspective. People don't come back to life. However, that is the very point. God has done something miraculous that simply cannot happen otherwise. And that means that with God, the impossible is possible. Now imagine the possibilities. If God can raise someone from the dead, what can he do in your life and those around you? That illness you've got can be healed. That broken relationship can be restored. That friend who is so far from Jesus can come to know him. The impossible request can be done. Everything changes when the God of the impossible is involved. And this is challenging because if I'm honest, most of the time I walk around not expecting that God is going to move. But will you join me in taking risks to see God's kingdom breaking in? Praying outrageous prayers. Asking if you can pray for healing for the person that you've met on the street. Sharing the good news of Jesus with someone. I want to see God's work, God's power at work in us as a church. And sometimes we can miss out on so much just because we are not expectant and we don't step out in faith. I want to have stories to tell of what God has done in our church and in our city. And finally, but by no means least, it means the resurrection means we have eternal life. John 3.16 is such a famous verse, but it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The things you are struggling with now do end. The evil of this world will come to an end. The sin you are struggling with will end. You will be free of it for eternity. It's only a matter of time. Eternity is what we wait for. And when you know there is something better coming, you no longer fear death, but instead you look forward to the day when you see Jesus in eternity. When we no longer fear death, all other fears start to crumble. Listen to the words of a man named Joseph Song. He was a Romanian pastor who recounts a story when he was interrogated by six KGB officers for spreading the gospel in his country. And this is what he says. I told the interrogator, sir, let me explain how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Now here is how it works, sir. You know that my sermons are on tape all over the country. When you shoot me or crush me, whichever way you choose, you only sprinkle my sermons with my blood. Everyone who has a tape, who has a tape of one of my sermons will pick it up and say, I had better listen again because surely he meant it. For this man died for what he preached. Sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder after you kill me and because you kill me. In fact, I will rejoice in this victory for God if you kill me. Go on and do it. After this, the interrogator had just sent me home. Later, a fellow pastor who had been interrogated reported what they said of me. We know that Mr. Song would like to be martyred, but we are not so foolish to fulfill his wish. I stopped to consider the meaning of this statement. And I remembered that many years I had been afraid of dying. I had kept a low profile because I wanted badly to live. I had wasted my life in inactivity. And now I had placed my life on the altar and decided I was ready to die for the gospel. They were telling me they would not kill me. I could go wherever I wanted in the country and preach whatever I wanted knowing I was safe. As long as I tried to save my life, I was, lo I was losing it. Now I was willing to lose my life. I had found it. 
Jesus changes everything. When we realise that Jesus is alive, that we have eternity to look forward to with him, we no longer fear the things of this world. We live lives not to please those around us, but we live lives to honour God. I have eternity with Jesus to look forward to, and I want to do all I can to make sure that there are many people who are going to be entering the kingdom from this city. I want to do all I can to see the kingdom breaking in now all over this city, this region, this nation, to the nations. And so back to my question to finish, if the band want to join me. If Jesus was raised from the dead, what does it mean for me? Everything. Everything changes when we know we have forgiveness for sins, when we know Jesus is alive and with us, when we know we can approach God, when we realise we have a message of hope to bring, when we know that God is so powerful that he can defeat death, and when we know we have eternal life to look forward to. Are we willing to be changed by the resurrection today and then every day of our lives? Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your death and your resurrection that we remember today. We thank you for your life of obedience. And Lord, I pray that as we reflect on what this message means, what this story means, what this event that we celebrate today, what it means for us, Lord, I pray you would change us. Lord, that we would realise that because of your sacrifice, everything has changed that we would get, submit our whole lives to following you. Lord, I pray for those who are far away from Christ today, those who don't know him, even in this room, would you draw near to them, even right now, as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.